Well, there's rather an art to, oops, I beg your pardon. Can't have two microphones all at the same time. There's a real art to uh, doing baptisms, and I've had 26 years of experience. In Hillsborough, my first assignment, for various reasons I won't go into, there were at times we were doing 50 baptisms each month. There was some problems in the area, and we were covering and so I got really good at it very quickly. But one thing I've, I've learned over the years is if there is a cranky baby in the group, we put them last. Got any, you bet you wonder why, huh? Because if I put them first, the other ones will get ideas. Now I have, now I have 10 cranky babies. And so uh, usually one or the other ends up hating me. And, I, and they'll, after they finish, they're all wailing. I'll say, another happy member of the Catholic Church just arrived, you know. So uh, anyway, uh, but that just all kidding aside, baptism is such an important thing, and most of us most of us were baptized as children and don't remember. And so on the baptism of the Lord, and sometimes at the Easter vigil, we can remember a little bit about what this is and why it's so important, and why we it's it's important to remember it in the sense of remembering as in owning it when we get older. And some are fortunate in, in the sense that they have gone through the whole uh, rites of, of initiation together. You know, there, there are three, baptism, communion, and confirmation. And in the early church, they put all three together. And in the, in the Roman rite, the Latin rite, we have separated them into three separate uh, occurrences. They're all three separate sacraments. But in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they put all three together. A baby will receive, of course, baptism and then communion with a little drop of the precious blood on the tongue and confirmation immediately. And in our, in our culture, we've, confirmation in particular has gone all, all the way around. We, now it's at high school. When I was young, it was in uh, grade school. And some of you probably have different experiences. We're still debating about the right age. Uh, but they, they really traditionally in the early church all went together. And at the Easter Vigil, you see that happening, all three. And I, I've had several, actually quite a few over the years, deathbed conversion type things or somebody dying before they could uh, get to the Easter Vigil, which I will do all three. It's called the continuous rites. It's very, very satisfying as a priest to be able to, to bring someone in the church like that uh, at the end of their lives. Everybody's got a different time that God asks us to come in. And often people coming in later appreciate the faith more than we who were born into it. We have to own it, you know. So as in baptism, we always begin, and the, the funeral liturgy is an echo of baptism because one is the beginning of faith, the other is the end of it. When we pass through the veil, we no longer have faith because we see everything. We get a full explanation, and God reveals himself. We become bigger than the universe because, after all, God created it and is inviting us to his table. It's unimaginable what lies in the future, St. Paul said. And it, it is good for us to remember that there is, we, we make the choice for Christ if we make the choice for Christ. This is, there's a wonderful future awaiting us after this valley of tears that we've been going through. But in baptism, we begin, uh, I'll go through just a little bit of it. Uh, I don't know if any of you know when you were baptized. Some priest once asked that question, and I looked it up. 
and it was uh, Our Lady of the Rosary, October 7th, about a month after I was born. I was quite pleased to find her on my baptism certificate since I dedicated my priesthood to her, as many of us do. So, uh, But you might want to ask yourself, when did I get baptized? Was it a feast saint day or something like that? We begin by putting a cross on their forehead. And as I do that, you, you would have had this happen to you. I now, and we say, I now claim you for Christ our Savior with this cross and invite the parents and godparents to do the same. Uh, so that even, uh, so each of us has mystically Christ's name on our foreheads and we've been claimed for Christ, but later we have to claim him as we get older. It's not automatic. Baptism isn't magic. We have to, uh, we have to, uh, it, the faith has to be inculcated into us by our parents and then hopefully with the help of our godparents and the witnesses present there and our families. And this is why we're baptizing the baby with the faith of the parents and covering the child under seven with the gift of the faith of the parents such as it is and pray that they will be able to also um, pass that faith on to their children. It's, it is the I do that we say, and we're going to repeat our baptismal promises after this homily, uh, is on the same level as the I do of marriage. It's a very serious obligation, although all we can do is our best. God understands that we, each of these babies is, is an eternal being in a temporal world. They'll have a lifespan. And uh, I always think of that, of, of the, the, it's funny, I think of the echo of, of someday there'll be the last, the last day in which we use holy water for the last time, which will be at a funeral, hopefully, you know, with, with, this, with, with this child who has this lifespan but is eternal. And we're rejoicing in that at the baptism. Then the second cross is on, we use the oil of salvation. It's supposed to be done right here. Some of these baptismal garments are so, uh, you know, frippy, frippy, fluffy here that you can't get at it. So I'll say, uh, let me have one of those three chins that baby has, you know, or something like that. Uh, I wouldn't say that to a lady that's older than one, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but anyway. And then the third one is after baptism, and that's chrism. And chrism is used a number of times, but first of all, we've all been used chrism. That's why it's something that some, church, some denominations call it a chrisming or chrisming. See, you see the, the similarity there. And sacred chrism is also used. What are the other three times that, that chrism is used? I never asked the questions, but I'm going to change my tune here. Who can tell me? I didn't have my hearing aids in the last mass, so I couldn't hear a thing. So, <laughs> You can't think of one? Confirmation. Confirmation. There's two more. Huh? No, no that's, that's a good guess, but we use the oil of the infirm for that. Ordination, yep, my hands, and one that some of you were, how many of you were here when the church was, was consecrated? And what did we do here? What, we, you pour it on the altar, the bishop poured so much oil here that they never get it off. And also each of the pillars was anointed, the main pillars. There were four, the four main, main pillars, front and back, were anointed with a cross. You can still see it. I was a little bit mad at him. I said, can't you find a place to put that where we can't all see it? But he didn't agree with me. <laughs> Which, you know, bosses, they're all, they're all like, anyway, uh, it's kind of faded since eight years ago. But So this, the ritual then, 
continues. And um, throughout it, if you have, uh, technically speaking, anyone who uses the proper formula can baptize. But it's, it's really important to baptize in a church building, if possible, simply because you're being baptized into a community. We are not a, a Christian of one. Uh, you can't really be a, a Christian alone uh, and, and uh, in the fullness of Christianity because we have to be in relationship with each other. And, and, you know, it's very, very challenging whether you're in a family or, in my case, I was in a monastery for a while or uh, as pastor or in any relationship, whether work or whatever, there's always challenges, but that's precisely what life is about is dealing with the challenges of difficulties in our own lives, the lives of others, whether it's illness or misunderstandings. And all of this is part of life. And that's why it's important to be in, a, in the building itself symbolizes you're being baptized into a certain faith community. That's why it's really best if you can be baptized into your own particular parish, although there are times when that, you know, is, is obviously we do things differently if you want to be with the grandparents' church or something like that. Um, and so that's, you know, and in the early church, whole families would come in, and at, as time went on, it became more and more of an infant baptism thing because, in, at least in Europe, most of the adults hadn't been baptized at that time. And so we find that uh, in, whole, in baptism, as we go through the ritual, uh, we, we are claimed for Christ our Savior, and we remember that claiming whenever we put our hands in the holy water and make the sign of the cross with holy water. What is holy water? It, it is essentially baptismal water. It's a sacramental. A sacramental has within it no efficacious power in and of itself. It is a mirror that reflects your faith to the extent that you have faith as you use a scapular or a sacramental or a picture of Jesus or, uh, and, or a rosary. It takes on intense power in the sense that we have faith and it reflects it back to us. The Eucharist, on the other hand, or baptism itself, has its efficacious within itself. In other words, it has power whether we believe or not. But it, it, its effect on you will depend on how much faith with which you receive the Eucharist, with which you uh, accept baptism throughout our lives. None of these sacraments are magic. They all require us to do something or to have faith in it. The, the, in the uh, funeral liturgies, and we've had a number of them, it used to be that you could not be cremated in the church. Some of us older folks remember this. That, that rule changed almost to the day that I was ordained. And uh, they allowed, the reason cremation was not allowed for so many centuries was precisely because people, it was considered to be a denial of the resurrection of the dead. So now you can see why we, the church has a long memory. But these days, nobody thinks of it that way at all. So the church flipped, finally, and permitted cremains, but it was, it was discouraged, and you couldn't bring the cremains into the building, uh, out of the vestibule during the liturgy. So I would look up. We, Grandma would be in the back there, not to be funny, but, but I'd look up, and she, somehow she made it into the church when I wasn't looking. So I would leave it there like that. So this is what would happen. People weren't satisfied with that. I wouldn't be either. So within a short period of time, the cremains were then allowed only to be on the table and not, not process in. And then eventually it was fully uh, legitimized that, that 
the cremates would be uh, a part of the liturgy. So I find ashes to be, if anything, even more poignant than a body. But we, we take reverence of that body because it housed an eternal being. And it was somebody we loved dearly. And, you know, I always remember that. Uh, I'm always bearing a member of my own family when I'm bearing one of yours because uh, I know how important it was to me and how important it is to you. But you see those same baptismal uh, rituals. The, the Easter candle will be right here. And, it, and it, again, it symbolizes faith. But we have to keep that flame alive, and there's a lot of winds that can blow it out. We we have to pray that God will uh, that God will help us to keep the faith in a world that doesn't have it. it. It and it's very unfortunate because it's such a priceless possession. What Christ wants to offer us, and it's so real. Uh, but but it is something that we can deny if we want to. It's God doesn't make Himself so obvious that we don't have a choice. And then the, the white garment is symbolized by the pall over the casket or the white cloth underneath it. Or if we have the, the, the rolling cart that we sometimes use, we put some cloth strips over it. And then, of course, we use holy water, which is a symbol of our baptism. And we also will hold up the cross and say uh, a prayer of that nature. And so uh, in all that way, in those ways and many others, the, the baptism is evoked and at the, at the cemetery. So we too are then called to remember our baptisms and to live our baptismal promises to renounce Satan and his works to be in other words to be to be conscious of our status as adopted sons and daughters of God and that we have we are claimed for Christ our savior but that we also have to claim him and we do that with our thoughts, words, and deeds. When I woke up late this morning, it's only happened once before, although I must admit, I'm very rested this morning. I'm very grateful for that, you know. Um, uh, for my first question to God was, do I have a guardian angel or not? You know, <laughs> I was like, I, every morning I'd say this prayer. And then, he, what are you doing? Sipping coffee while I'm sleeping here? You know, but um, it, it's those mysteries of life where we don't quite understand why things happen. Uh, that, that really... Um, you know, since I, I slept through the, the phone, which I normally don't do if I get a sick call, I'm going to get a louder phone. So maybe there's a blessing in that. You know what I'm saying? And maybe all of us had were called to wait a little bit for the Eucharist. We were all called to fast the Eucharist last year and a half when we were under COVID. So our baptism then is very precious. And without any further verbiage from me, um, uh, we, I want us to... We're going to say our baptismal promises... And then we're going to say the Apostles' Creed, which is older than the Nicene Creed and is always said at a baptism. And then right after that, we'll, we'll have the um, prayers of the faithful immediately after. So I invite you to stand as we renew our baptismal promises. And the response is, I do. Do you renounce sin so as to live in the freedom of the children of God? And do you renounce the lure of evil so that sin may have no mastery over you? And do you renounce Satan, the author and prince of sin? Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered death and was buried, rose again from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of the Father? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and everlasting life? 
This is our faith. This is the faith of the church we are proud to profess together through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.